from the flavorful foods we eat to the rhythm of the beats we keep. Our hair and clothes define what it means to be chic. For centuries, onlookers have been captivated by our mystique and every aspect of our being that makes us unique. This is the culture we speak. This is Deanna Latimer Hearn here, checking in once again with the culture we speak. I just want to catch up with you all. I know it has been a busy end of the year for me, um, and I have not been here with new episodes, so I'm looking forward to sharing more important content on culture, language, education, speech pathology, and how all that goes together. So I I really am looking forward to it. The end of the year got really busy for me Um, in October. Some of you who are following me on social media probably know I headed up to Chicago and Milwaukee to do some networking and some presentations and had an absolutely amazing time. It's always great to be back at Northwestern on campus to see my my teammates from when I was there a few years ago, we'll say. Uh, We don't have to get into the years, but it's always a pleasure to go back and connect with my soccer teammates and also to contribute to the efforts and experiences of uh, current student athletes at Northwestern. While I was there, I participated in a panel discussion on Title IX, which was pretty amazing. I had a great time, met so many wonderful, amazing women, uh, former athletes, current professionals, current athletes. It was, it was amazing. So I really appreciated the opportunity to be there. I also had the opportunity to head up to Milwaukee while there with one teammate, Sarah Yale Richards. Shout out to you for just taking the time and connecting me with so many people. I was able to go up and observe, go on tours, see people engaged in equity work in and around Milwaukee. And it was absolutely absolutely encouraging to learn all these new things. It was wonderful to see so much going on in terms of equity and also building uh, spaces for students to be their own advocates as well. And so it was just really encouraging to see that type of work being done. I'm looking forward to eventually plugging into the city, hopefully, and being able to support some of the work that is being done there. So if you were among those that I saw in Milwaukee doing work, if you are behind the scenes and I didn't even get to meet you and see what was going on, I appreciate the efforts that you're putting in there. It's much needed change taking place. So um, thank you for all of that. So I have not been on here and it's been fun. Honestly, if I'm being honest with you, I needed the break. I needed a little peace of mind. It is okay. And this is my message to you, especially during this holiday season. It is okay to take a break. It is okay to slow down and find peace, to center, to just take a moment, right? I did all of that. Anything that you're doing to prioritize your own health, whether that's mental, physical, spiritual, or whatever, I say, go for it. I say, do it. It is okay not to produce for a few minutes and just take a a time out. For those who reached out and requested additional content, thank you for your support and encouragement. Just know that the culture we speak is alive and well. It's coming back very soon um, with new content. I'm looking forward to releasing that. I just want to jump in real quick and just give y'all a little nugget here. Sometimes you're just encouraged by stuff you see online and and it doesn't happen all the time because sometimes I'm afraid, but but sometimes I'm very much encouraged by the things I see online. And I want to say that a well-posed question can disrupt so many things at once that sometimes it's a perfect tool to use to disrupt some of the challenges and issues that we see in, in different spaces. And so I'll do that. Sometimes I resort to a question where I can ask a question in an effective way and get some people thinking about their own biases, their own perspectives, their own assumptions that they may have made. And it also helps me do the same for myself. So a well-posed question is just, is money, okay? So I'm in a, in a Facebook group called School-Based SLPs. 
And there was a question in there that is absolutely amazing. And so I just want to highlight it on here right quick, because I really appreciated this question. Now, mind you that when I'm in a group that I don't host, I typically do not offer a lengthy response. But I had this, I had to hold up on this one. This, there was a question posted in this group anonymously, because I would probably have to shake the hand of the person who did it if I knew who it was. But this question was posted anonymously. And it was about them being in a meeting uh, regarding a student with a parent. The person who posted says that they are white in the post. And they indicated that the person they were speaking to, the parent, was a person of color. And so the parent apparently asked the question. So that's the first well-placed and well-posed question. But the parent asked a question about the potential negatives of having an individualized education plan or an IEP. So this parent asked this question and it caused the SLP, again, who's white, to kind of stop and have to think about this because their perspective and they indicate in the question, even they identify it. They say my bias, right? Their bias was that IEPs help the student. That's what the way that they saw this. And the parent had indicated that in their community, they had been warned that having an IEP could affect the child's educational and professional trajectory. Here we have some sort of a conflict, you know, the two don't really match. So the, the SLP feels that, that IEPs help the student the parent feels that there could be some drawbacks to that. And so this person said, I haven't heard this. I want to be thoughtful. I want to be considerate of this person's perspective. And so they ask a question. So right there again, the question that this person is posing is fire because they have called out so many things at once without even probably recognizing it. But one, they identified their own bias, which thank you for modeling that. That's awesome. We all have bias. It affects how we see things. It affects how we navigate spaces. It affects our decision-making we all hold biases. So thank you for just modeling that it's okay to say so. So they're also demonstrating cultural humility and indicating that they want to be thoughtful about this and that this is an area for growth for them. It also highlights how our communication sciences and disorders programs don't necessarily do an effective job of teaching us that there are different perspectives and that these perspectives can differ across aspects of our identities. This to me doesn't sound like groundbreaking information, but it was clearly an issue this person didn't know and also other people did not know. So obviously this is an area that needs to be addressed. That's highlighted right there point blank in this question. I talked about this a little bit in our first episode with Dr. Lakeisha Johnson. So I would encourage you to go back and check that out. We talked a little bit about the structure of communication sciences and disorders programs and how leaving that content on the periphery speaks volumes to people and teaches them what they should or should not know. The question also calls out ASHA or the American Speech Language Hearing Association and the way in which they uphold this idea of cultural competence. So the idea that I should be competent in someone else's culture is really, to me, just mind boggling. But in and of itself, competence suggests that you've completed something, that you've arrived at a space, that you did all the tasks that led up to this, and now you're good to go. As a result, it causes a problem in our field. We should be approaching things with cultural humility. If I suggest that I'm competent because I studied culture during my grad school program, maybe, maybe not, and I did enough, and I'm now competent, and I'm good to go, that creates a problem. And so this idea of competence is problematic. We really need to change the way that's done because it creates an idea for many people that I finished this and it's good and I don't need to learn anymore. Now, as we all know, as speech language pathologists, language is growing and changing at all times. And the same thing is true for culture. Culture is growing and shifting and changing at all times. So if that's the case, you cannot have learned it at some point, finished and I'm done. And now I'm competent in other people's identities. Not going to work. Many people out here in this world today are not competent in their own identity. We're still figuring out where we're going in some cases, right? So, so we really need to center cultural humility. This person brought cultural humility, demonstrated it. So I appreciate the person who asked this question. 
there are a number of reasons why people of color may have a different perspective on this issue. And I'm going to touch on a few of them. I'm obviously not giving you an exhaustive list. This is just a few items that I discussed in my post response, and I just want to highlight them here. One, institutions being biased towards people of color and their communities, both historically and presently. And yes, that is still going on today. So let's keep that in mind, be aware. And that's why this platform is here to discuss these issues. The over-reliance upon standardized measures that essentially assume that everyone has access to and engages in mainstream cultural linguistic practices. That's not always the case. All groups have their own perspectives and ways of being, identities. So we have different cultural linguistic practices typically. Um, the way in which our schools are structured also impacts this perspective. Many schools are structured to reward assimilation. So the more closely I assimilate to this mainstream cultural linguistic value or practice, then the more likely I'll be successful. And in the same way, schools are often structured to pathologize or criminalize cultural linguistic differences. So when my identity does not align with mainstream culture, I'm more likely to be excluded or placed in lower track classes or be in spaces that suggest that I am not performing at par. Um, there are financial, sociopolitical incentives that exist to maintain disproportionate outcomes in educational spaces, particularly representation in special education or involvement in punitive programs. You got increased and compounding chance of involvement in the school to confinement pipeline as a result of their identity. So being male, being black or brown, being identified as having a disability, or if you have all of those things happening, then the likelihood of you being involved in the school to confinement pipeline is greater. The structure of our educational system and the way it fosters and creates deficit theories. So in a previous episode with Ms. Yolanda Ludke, we discussed the way in which deficit theories are created and maintained and suggest inferiority among minoritized groups. We also have to consider teacher bias towards students, whether that's for disability status or for any other aspect of their identity. Um, we have to look at the impact of special education services, the impact of being pulled out of the classroom today for whatever services may be provided. How does that affect the education that they're receiving and the type of performance they may have in there? And then how does that over time affect their trajectory in post-secondary or professional spaces? We have to consider the impact of being identified as a student who has a disability. How does that affect their understanding of themselves? How does that affect them academically or socially? There are so many ways that this could also compound their own personal experience. We also want to consider the way in which people and institutions treat or fail to include people with disabilities across so many situations in daily life. So again, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a kind of jumping off point for you. If you would like further information on this, check out other episodes of The Culture We Speak, but also do some research on these topics and look at how those disparate outcomes lead to these different perspectives. So again, I just want to say thank you to the person who posted this. A well-posed question wins every time. So thank you for this. It's very insightful and opened up a really great discussion. So I hope that people will engage and, and dig in a little further and learn more about this important topic. The new year's upon us, y'all. So we're going to go ahead and talk about what we're taking into 2023. And hopefully it's not stuff that should have been left in 2022. Let me hit you with my list. So first list is going to be called 2022 and through. We're going to leave it back here. We're not taking it with us into the new year. It needs to stop. One of the things you guys know, I do not happen to be a fan of our therapy themes. I think I've mentioned that before on here. Follow me on social media. You know this, probably heard this before. Themes can become problematic because a lot of times they exclude certain groups. So for that reason, I'm not a big fan of them. They can be done effectively. So I'm not suggesting that you can't do them. I'm just saying that oftentimes they lead to the exclusion of other groups. And this winter, all I have seen are Christmas themes. Everyone's asking, what are you doing for Christmas? What are you doing for Christmas? Keep in mind that not everybody celebrates Christmas. So 
instead of presenting something that's going to other specific kids or leave uh, individuals out of groups, make people feel isolated, choose a more generic theme. If you're going to go the theme route, choose something more generic. Do the weather in your region, like center things or activities that are done in the winter that may be familiar to the group you're serving. Do something along those lines that is inclusive to people who may not celebrate the Christmas holiday. This is very important because it again becomes othering for people and it can do more harm than good. So we're going to leave that. That's 2022 and through. All right, evidence-based practice. To make sure we're questioning that to some degree, right? I'm not suggesting that you don't want evidence for the work that you're doing. Evidence is important. It is good to have a very well-founded process in which you're serving people. However, consider whose evidence is not there. Who does the evidence not represent? Who doesn't have a voice in this discussion? Who is controlling what gets published? Who is controlling what type of research gets done? Who is not reflected in your research? then be careful about using this evidence-based research to serve everyone. Because just as that question highlighted, perspectives differ, experiences differ, ways of being differ, then it's not going to be possible to use evidence that is largely founded upon one group and not reflective of any other values, and then use that and apply it to everybody like the correct answer for all people. Be careful with that. Question it, read it critically, review it, make sure you understand what you're looking at. 2022 and through, we're going to also stop thinking that global majority groups or historically marginalized groups of any kind owe you some sort of explanation or education about why you're doing something wrong. Google is out there. It is free. Get on it. Stop trying to place people in position where they need to educate you because you failed to pick up some information somewhere else. That's not hot. All right. 2022 and through, stop relying solely upon standardized data for everything. I know that a lot of our policies structure schooling and education in this way and structure programs that we have in this way. And that is a problem with the policy. And I get it. We had this whole nother discussion. But please consider other information aside from the standardized. Consider qualitative content as well to make sure that you are considering everything in your decision making and not simply the student did not measure up to mainstream cultural linguistic expectations and therefore has something wrong with them. So that's 2022 and through. They'll stop doing those things. What's to be in 2023? I highly suggest that you come up with some goals, you know, not the kind where you're going to set a resolution and forget about it by March, but the kind where you're going to say, here's what I'm going to do to promote my own personal growth and how you learn about, explore, understand cultural linguistic diversity. Then I also want you to come up with a way in which you can advocate for cultural linguistic diversity in whatever space. So whatever challenge you've seen, whatever we may have highlighted on this show, whatever you may observe in the spaces that you navigate, where there is inequity around cultural and linguistic diversity, I want you to figure out how will you advocate in that space. I want you to identify where you are in your personal journey in this and identify how best to make an impact on that space. Skipping over the saviorism, we're not doing that, but we are coming in with an idea of how we can make change. So figure out, one, how you're going to continue to grow for yourself in knowledge around cultural linguistic diversity, and then two, how are you going to advocate to make it more equitable for people who do not come from mainstream backgrounds? And then I'm going to ask you to commit to taking a friend with you. Find someone who is also on this journey and take them with you. And so that's it for me for 2022. We're through. I'll see you all in 2023 and I wish you a happy new year and thank you for being a part of the Culture We Speak family.